Hello and welcome to our final episode of season two with Film Exploration with Ash Hurry, where today we should be talking about the 1986 classic romantic comedy Pretty in Pink, written by John Hughes and starring 80s star Molly Ringwald, Harry Dean Stanton, James Spader and John Cryer. It's only fitting to end season two of a John Hughes film where I believe the highlight of this decade was his films. His movies, in my opinion, are the only consistent range of films that came out in this decade that have lasted the test of time. It's the reason now why we have teen movies when we grow up. It's the reason we have them today. It's the reason why we have well-known stereotypes in comedies and romance films now. It's about identity, and teenagers had someone that could stand on a platform and deliver a range of movies and say, this is what kids are going through right now. This is what kids do. We have real issues. They have these different identities teenagers are going through, and it's about discovering who you are this vulnerable age and simply said teenagers should not be overlooked for a decade that i don't hold much regard to i think it's important to know that it was an important decade because it entertains nostalgia it was a vacation when it came to hollywood releases and sometimes films are best left in nostalgia and should never be revisited now with john hughes's films you can revisit ferris bueller or the breakfast club or weird science and you can still relive your childhood and not in a cringe way but still remain nostalgic about it despite it being fresh in your memory a friendly reminder of a simpler time john hughes's name will live on with these movies and it's clear that his films have created an impact with people all around the world the homage that tv shows and films have done in his name and his creations stretches around the block i mean i mean top of my head easy a ready player one i mean sex education which my girlfriend's watching pays a direct homage to john hughes's films uh, riverdale american horror story he's just not that into you amongst so many others so i think it's quite fitting that i did at least two john hughes films during season two and my personal favorite is ferris bueller which i did a podcast on last month but there seems to be something with pretty and pink that really has an impact and still does today with audiences around the world, which is why I thought I would pick this over Weird Science or The Breakfast Club. Now, Pretty in Pink reunites John Hughes and Molly Ringwald after they work together in 16 Candles and Breakfast Club, and it tells the story of Andy, this poor girl who becomes involved in this love triangle between her childhood sweetheart, Ducky, played by John uh, Cryer, and this rich boy, Blaine, played by Andrew McCarthy. And this happens during the lead-up to a high school prom and the backdrop of a classic John Hughes high school setting. Love triangles is a common theme in romance and it becomes quite popular with the involvement of audiences, usually because the decision lingers on until the end of the movie and minds are usually split with the who the girl or man uh, should end up with. I mean, the most popular movies in this genre usually have this sub-story of a love triangle because it's appealing to have your mind changed throughout the movie, whether it's manipulation from the direction of the movie or your love of the actor or character playing that certain role. And that's why I honestly think that films like Gone with the Wind and Casablanca have been remembered 80 years on as some of the best love stories ever done in cinema, simply because they have this love triangle storyline that seems to attract a heavy amount of attention. And if you look at other films that have tackled this storyline, like The Wedding Singer, Bridget Jones, My Best Friend's Wedding, Mean Girls, Twilight, Philadelphia Story, these are films that have done tremendously well at the box office and have actually survived the test of time because of this attractive premise of a love triangle and Pretty in Pink is certainly no different. Even other genres like to implement this storyline in their movies, films like um, Fight Club or Titanic, Pearl Harbor, all have this classic romantic element of love triangle and history has shown it's really effective. It sells tickets, it attracts viewers and 90% of these films, the films that I've mentioned, have survived the test of, t- uh, of time and are probably considered a classic now. 
And this is something John Hughes is very familiar with. One of his previous films involves another love triangle, which was 16 Candles, which is another great film if you haven't seen it. And it was done in 1984, again with Molly Ringwall. In fact, Anthony Michael Hall, who plays the geek in that movie, was offered the role of Ducky in this movie. And he refused the role because the plot was too similar, basically slating the whole love triangle premise, being done to death. And John Hughes had this reputation of holding grudges. But this was, so, this was sort of the first time he didn't let this one get to him. In fact, with this movie, John Hughes was quite unhappy with the uh, with the uh, ending of this movie because he wanted Ducky to end up with Andy, which is how it was writ- um, written originally. But the studio sort of stepped in and forced them to redo the ending and have Blaine end up with Andy, much to the approval of Ducky. And John Hughes did not like that. In fact, when they had to reshoot it, Andrew McCarthy, who plays Bane, uh, Blaine, sorry, not Bane, had dropped weight for another movie and he shaved his head. So in the last shot of Pretty in Pink, he's actually wearing a wig and wearing layers under his suit as well, which is quite funny. Also, while I'm talking about the last scene as well, Molly Ringwald as well, just this last scene was disastrous when they had to call it back. But yeah, Molly Ringwald had a really bad stomach flu during the last scene of the movie. So you can kind of see it in her performance as well. She wasn't 100% at all and she was really suffering during those shoots. And she almost threw up a few times as well. I don't know if you, if you watch the last scene, the prom scene, you can kind of tell she's not like 100%. But yeah, anyway, with the ending, and this angered John Hughes even more because he wanted to reshoot this movie and it wasn't up to him. And this was one of the few movies that John Hughes wrote but didn't direct. So John Hughes was fuming and basically made the same movie a couple of years later in Some Kind of Wonderful, another great film. Another film about Love Triangle, and Hughes wanted Molly Ringwald really badly, but she refused because she basically said, well, it's too similar to Pretty in Pink. And this ended this amazing relationship between John Hughes and Molly Ringwald. Basically, his, you know, that was the, you know, her muse. That was, um, that was John Hughes's muse, like Uma Thurman is Tarantino's. Because he just didn't let grudges go, and he took her rejection personally, and they never, ever worked together again. Which is sad, but I appreciate why she did it. So you can see the popularity in this love triangle theme that occurred heavily throughout cinema, especially through John Hughes's creation in the 80s, including this one. In fact, the same year, they released a novel which was adapted from this movie, and in the book, the original John Hughes ending remains where Ducky ends up with Andy, not Blaine. So it's worth reading if you want to see how the original ending sort of unfolds. It was written by um, H.B. Gilmore, for those who are interested in that. So Pretty in Pink. It's a very different film from his other films. It's not as teeny and party-esque as his other films. A lot of his other films focus on this really juiced-up repression on sexual teenagers who are trying to break free or even break rules to just rebel because of their age. And this is expressed through their dialogue or their actions. But with Pretty in Pink, it's probably safe to assume that this is a drama and has been confirmed by John Hughes as a film that should be compared to West Side Story or American Graffiti, where there's more depth to these characters and they're tackling a little more seriously the issues of high school and not using high school teen parties sort of to create conflict throughout these uh, these explorations of identity. And Pretty in Pink was an interesting origin. It was actually because of Molly Ringwald's influence that kick-started this project in becoming what it is. It's actually her favourite movie of her own, but there was a song called Pretty in Pink, which was her favourite song at the time, which was performed by the Psychedelic Furs, and she asked John Hughes to write a movie based on this song, and that's basically how the movie originated. The movie was an instant hit when it came out. It came like, uh, I think it came out like 10 days after Molly Ringwald turned 18, and the budget was a moderate $18 million, and it grossed $40 million globally, so it was a really successful movie, especially for like a, a rom-com drama movie, but the real success is the legacy of this film. Now, the film is beautifully done and symbolic in terms of staying true to who you are. The main message in this film is about authenticity 
authenticity, about being who you are despite what others think or, of you, and, and you know, to be proud of your upbringing despite how bad it may look to others or what you may think of yourself. She plays a beautifully strong woman who looks after her dad after their mother has left them, and he hasn't quite recovered from it yet. And it's from this does the relationship project this independence that is really inspiring to watch. She's still in high school and does all the housework, has an amazing hobby and fascinated with, you know, fashion. She makes dresses. She's basically what every girl wants to be like or what I imagine every girl wants to be like. Her room is this perfect blend of colour and mess and it's filled with pure nostalgia. Just looking at her room when watching it today brings you right back to the 80s. She's still attracted to the rich lifestyle though. That's the thing. It's sort of this pipe dream she has. You can see this by how she looks at all the pretty houses and admires all of them and you know she just wants you know that's all she's been dreaming of as a little child she you just imagine her dreaming of like this big amazing wedding and she's like the center of attention that's sort of every little girl's dream she's just enjoying the moment but she's okay with it being reality but if it's as long as it's a dream where she can hide away and relive it in her head that's okay with her and by the way with that scene and this is only my opinion by the way but john hughes wrote home alone by the way, if you didn't know that. He didn't direct it, he'd, he wrote the story. So when they're driving around looking at these big houses, I think he got inspiration from that scene to do Home Alone or write about Home Alone because it's all of these massive houses that attract the robbers in Home Alone. And I think that's sort of where the script of Home Alone came from because in Home Alone, they're driving around as well, just like they are on Pretty Pink, looking at all these big houses and seeing which one is best to rob. So that's a little theory of mine, but I think that's where he got his inspiration from. So she ends up dating this rich guy, Blaine, and the message here is that she doesn't actually change anything about herself to get the guy i mean she's attracted to him and you don't know for sure yet that she likes him because he's rich or if she likes him as a person but we're going through this journey with her and we see step by step revealing more about himself blaine is rich but he's not a snob he's likable he's kind-hearted and this is juxtaposed with james spader's character now interestingly the actor who plays the rich snob james spader who um most of you might know from i don't know if you guys have seen stargate and uh, that was a great film he did the voice of ultron actually in the avengers movie but um james spader was originally going to play bane uh so i keep saying bane he was originally going to play blaine the love interest but he refused and he said he'd rather play the villain of this sort of story and then what happened uh they had to recast blaine and molly ringwald had a really big part in the casting originally the studio and the director were going for this very masculine hunky kind of guy but molly wasn't interested than that apparently molly's not interested in that sort of image and she told them um you know let me pick the guy when you're casting and then when andrew mccarthy auditioned she told john hughes that's the kind of guy i could fall in love with so the studio was like okay fine but they sort of disagreed with her but molly ringwald convinced john hughes and john hughes to you know convince the studio and andrew mccarthy was uh, casted in that movie um, but yeah, going back to this sort of character of Andy, I mean, yeah, she's poor um, and she likes him. And, you know, it's not like Greece where Sandy changes in all black to impress Danny at the end. I mean, Andy here, you know, enhances her dress through her own skills and stubbornness from the prom and reminds those rich kids and cheerleaders and whatever stereotypes there are there that this is who I am. This is the girl in pink who I'm not ashamed of my upbringing or, you know, upbringing or how much money I have. Now, this was done in an era where people were becoming materialistic and movies were really going on heavy on product placements. Everything needed a label. People thought that's what was cool, what was hip at the time, these brand names, these logos. The 80s had TVs and VHS come to life. It was, an imp- you know, it was just impressive as uh, the internet is to us right now. 
Um, this is what the movie is saying. The movie predominantly had rich people in this movie. This was the norm. Being rich was, you know, the cool thing. And the poor people in this movie, like Ducky and Andy, are like the minority here. And what is great about Andy is she doesn't follow the trend or try to be someone else. Her character presents a fantasy of adolescence, realism, and selfhood that rings true. And she expresses this not by buying it ready-made and mass-produced, but through her unique, reliable inner compass. I think this is why the movie is inspiring and talked about and considered a classic. Molly Ringwald acts as an inspiration to women everywhere. She is better than money. She has taste. She has independence. She has a moral compass that is always pointing north. And she is all of this naturally, despite all of her problems with her father, her lack of trend. And this is what John Hughes is good at, expressing with his writing that there is an inner problem with kids, and yet the exterior usually shows strength. And in Pretty in Pink, it really explores a strong, independent woman in Andy here. When I watched it recently, I was convinced that Ducky was gay, but it turned out that um, he was generally in love with Andy, and I was just he was just playing this sort of camp kind of character who stays really loyal to Andy. And I was reading, though, that John Cryer, who everyone probably knows as Alan from Two and a Half Men, was quite irritating on set, and he was getting on the actor's nerves from his overzealous persona. And he was a very outgoing person, and both Molly Ringwald and Andrew McCarthy were quite reserved, so their personalities didn't get on. But they were friends after the production was finished. So they had this, like, reunion 10 years years ago where they discussed the movie and it had molly ringwald and john cryer and annie potts and they did this photo shoot and they did this interview where they were talking about the movie and then they were asked what do you think happened to the movie uh, the characters after the movie ended what happened to their lives and molly said that she thought andy and blaine would break up very shortly after the film had ended but ducky and andy would remain long life friends and that Ducky would come out as gay, which is something John Hughes never really dismissed. He even said it's entirely possible. It's all about discovery at that age at the time. He had this obsession almost of Andy, and it's all about her at the time. And that was sort of his thing at the time. It's like a trend, you know, like you were... You had this thing about Pokemon cards or yo-yos or pogs or Tamagotchis. You know, it was Ducky's thing was just her at the time. Um... And John Hughes was always very open with homosexuality and his portrayal of it in his movies. He was ahead of his time, in fact. So he never really ruled it out. And I certainly thought he might have been, you know, but we are only shown part of this life, you know, of Ducky, where maybe he wasn't at the time or doesn't even know it yet. But if you if you um, listen to the um, behind the scenes, though, if you listen to John Hughes when he's doing his interviews on YouTube or, or, you know, just press for other movies, he's always quite open with his movies being, you know, not heterosexual and having this sort of image of coming out. And it's, it's, it's quite, um, you know, really ahead of his time, especially at the time he wrote these movies. So the ending, like I discussed earlier, was quite controversial. A lot of people loved this movie but hated the ending. The film was set up for Ducky and Andy to get together, and that's what I thought would happen. That's what I wanted to happen. But it was the studio that ruled against it, like I said earlier. Now, I honestly think it was due to the casting. I just didn't see a romantic chemistry of John Cryer and Molly Ringwald. And even Molly said this in an interview because Robert Downey Jr. was almost cast as Ducky, and if he had landed the role as Ducky, John Hughes and Molly were convinced that the ending would have stayed true to the original because Robbie Downey jr didn't give that brother best friend vibe and could be that romantic lead and we can see that and i think that's why the studios probably put their foot down on the ending when john cryer was cast but yeah i think this was a refreshing teen movie it's nothing like any of the others that were out in the 80s it was quite serious it explored certain themes that films weren't really tackling at the time and i'm glad it's talked about 30 years on as still a great rom-com movie if you are really a big nerd or fan of this movie you may recognize the high school in this movie i'm only saying this because i'll be doing season three on 70s movies and it's the same la high school used in greece so if you watch greece again and pretty in pink you'll see it's the exact same high school i've 
learned a lot from this movie. Um, this was my first time watching it, and then I watched it again, and I found it to be an even better film, and that's what you know these films do to you. And I watched a lot of interviews with Molly Ringwald, and she's great to watch and listen to, and it's interesting to hear her feeling towards her rise in the 80s and how important those movies were. And she was saying, actually, how she hated the pink prom dress she had to wear at the end of the movie. She said it was clashing with her hair. But with the title Pretty in Pink, what did she expect to wear at the prom? I think she looked great, and I think this film is a really big stepping stone in teen movies. And that is it with season two of 80s films. I hope you've enjoyed it and I shall be swiftly moving on to my favourite decade, the 70s, which I think is the best decade for cinema. 80s was the worst in my opinion, but that being said, it doesn't mean it was all bad. I managed to squeeze, what, 10 films I thought was worth remembering and other films that didn't make the cut? Well, I think like I said before, some things are just best left to nostalgia. Well, that's it. This is Film Exploration with Ash Hurry. This is the end of season two. I'm on Instagram, Film Exploration, A-H, all lowercase or one word. And thank you for listening.